Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, 7 through 12. That's Ezekiel 37, 7 through 12. So, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come, for, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Thank you, God. Breathe life into us today. Stacy, thank you so much for doing that reading. If you're not familiar with that passage, hopefully you'll understand it better after today's message. But the key is that last phrase that she said, my people and I will bring you into the land of Israel. We'll be talking about that. In fact, we're going to continue today with part two of a message entitled, Your Future is Tied to the Jews. And a lot of times we as Christians forget that our spiritual heritage is tied to the Jews, and most people don't realize that their spiritual future is tied to the Jews. And we talk about that a little bit more this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have sung of the hope you give. We have celebrated the forgiveness that you give. And now we come to you asking for you to give us wisdom and insight into your word that the Holy Spirit might be our teacher, and you might teach through me words that reflect your truth and reflect you, and that help us to live in this world in a way that honors Christ and blesses you and blesses others. Lord, we continue to pray for the situations around the world, specifically in Ukraine. We continue to lift up the Ukrainian people, the Russian people, the things that are going on there that, that break our hearts and break your heart. And Lord, we pray that there would be an end to this conflict soon, we pray that you would continue to use it, though, in the lives of those who are suffering, that they would continue to find Christ. We hear of numbers of people coming to Jesus through this crisis, and we pray, Lord, that you would be seen and experienced during this extremely difficult time. 
Lord, we ask too that as a church and individuals that you would continue to use our prayers, the financial gifts that we've given as a church and individuals to help the Ukrainians. And Lord, that you'd show us if there are other things that we can and should do to help those in need. Lord, thank you for being such a great God. And thank you for what you're going to show us today. And we thank you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was July of 2014, and the supreme leader of Iran, the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, posted an anti-Israel tirade on Twitter. And this is what he wrote, and I quote, the supreme leader of Iran. He said, speaking of Israel, this barbaric, wolf-like, infanticidal regime of Israel, which spares no crime, has no cure but to be annihilated. Three years later, I saw an article that caught my eye, and it was entitled, Obama's Farewell Gift to Iran, 130 Tons of Uranium. Well, the article, dated in 2017, was from a news source in Saudi Arabia, the al Arabiya news source, and the article read this way. It said, American media revealed that President Barack Obama presented a final gift to Iran. He agreed before the end of his mandate to secretly provide Tehran with 130 tons of uranium, which can be used as a fuel for a nuclear reactor or as the heart of an atomic bomb. Well, I was curious as if to wonder if this was actually true, because as you know, the Saudis and the Iranians don't get along together. Uh, the Saudis are Sunni Muslims, the Iranians are Shia Muslims, and the two have been opposed to each other for 1,400 years. So I continued my research online, and I discovered the article is actually true. And Washington Post, The Daily Wire, other news sources also supported the fact that the U.S. government gave 130 tons of uranium to Iran, and the articles pointed out that that's enough to make 10 nuclear bombs and have some nuclear material left over. Well, couple this with the fact that Iran has been developing ballistic missiles since the 1980s, technology that they've gotten from Russia and from North Korea, and then couple that with the fact that four months ago, Iran tested and launched at least 16 of their most recent designed ballistic missiles, and they were simulating a strike on one of Israel's nuclear facilities. Well, the launches were, as one UK source put it, a clear breach of UN Security Council Resolution 2231. Well, why should all this concern you? Beside the obvious fact that no one wants to see a nuclear war happen, you should be concerned because your future destiny is tied to the Jewish people. And if you exterminate the Jewish people, you exterminate your future destiny. Well, while I was writing the sermon, I took a break, and I came back, and I noticed that there was a new headline. It was just a few hours old. And that frightening headline said this, U.S. worried Iran could develop nuclear bomb in weeks. Yikes. So I read the article, and the article states that after Secretary of State Anthony Blinken had noted earlier in the day 
that Iran had accelerated its nuclear program. In response to that, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, announced, and I quote, yes, it definitely worries us, end quote. Well, hopefully you're sufficiently frightened now <laughs> as we go with the sermon. We're going to start with a review of the review that reviewed what we viewed before Easter. So there's some outlines by the door. Feel free to jump up and get one if you didn't. I think it'll make it more helpful to follow along. If you're watching online, the outlines are available on our website there. So let's do a review. Let's talk about the future destiny of the human race. The future destiny of the human race is for redeemed men and women. Redeemed men and women, people who are saved through Jesus Christ, to rule with the Redeemer, who is Jesus. To rule with the Redeemer, Jesus, where? In God's kingdom, and where is God's kingdom? Here on earth. Here on earth. And this is something we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And this is a plan that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came up with before they even created the human race. And we're told this quite clearly in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us. So when God says, let us, he's talking about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're communing together. Let us make man, in other words, mankind in our image, according to our likeness. So there's something about human beings that is in the likeness of God himself. And let them, notice the next word, rule. Let them rule over what? The fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth earth. So God's original plan was for men and women to rule on earth over God's kingdom here on earth. Well, God didn't keep this plan to himself. In fact, even though most of us don't know this or haven't been taught this, he taught it to the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Notice as it continues in verse 27, and God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So you can't fully have God's image unless you have a male and a female. And then he says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and what? And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That was God's plan. But as we've already seen in the previous messages, that this plan was damaged because of sin. But God didn't dump his plan. It was damaged but not dumped. So we needed a redeemer to redeem the plan by redeeming us because God wants perfect people, holy people, to rule over a perfect holy kingdom. And it's easy for us to overlook this, but I remind you that every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are reciting Jesus' words that remind us of this plan. Because Jesus said, pray this way, uh, this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. So God's kingdom includes earth and heaven, and as we've seen, there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven, and we all reign with Christ, and that is the plan that God has for us to reign with him. You see, God's kingdom 
it says here in the Lord's Prayer, is wherever God's will is being done. And so that's why Jesus said God's kingdom is among you, it's also within you. Wherever his kingdom, wherever his, his, his will is being done is his kingdom. So if you're doing God's will, his kingdom is, is in you. If his will is being, doing, being done around you, then his kingdom is among you. And his kingdom is in heaven because right now everybody's doing his will. And someday on earth, everybody will be doing his will and that will be his kingdom. But in order for that to happen, because of sin, we have to be redeemed. And we couldn't have been redeemed if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Let's find out why. We talked about the seven promises made to Abraham. We've already looked at the first four, but we'll review those very quickly. Abraham was the first Jew. And everything is going to depend on these promises made to the first Jew, Abraham. And the first promise God made to him is he said, I will make of you a great nation, a great nation. And that would have sounded sort of like a sarcastic or cruel joke if it wasn't God, because this man, when he heard this promise, was 75, his wife was 65 years old, they had no children, and she was barren. But God always keeps his promises, and if God can keep this promise, he can keep all seven, of course. And God kept that promise, and Abraham has become a great nation, the Jewish people. Not great in numbers, there may be 15 million Jews in the world today, but great in influence, as we saw last week, and we'll see again in a moment. The second promise that God made to Abraham was one of personal blessing. God said, I will personally bless you. And we see that Abraham became quite wealthy. And he had a great family and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he had a very long life. He lived till he was 150 years old. God blessed him personally. The third promise God made to Abraham is that he would have a great name. A great name. And how else can you explain the fact that a nomad nobody, Abraham from the Middle East now has approximately 4 billion people on the planet that see him as their spiritual father. Muslims, Jews, and Christians alike look to Abraham as a spiritual patriarch. God kept his promise to make his name great. And then the fourth promise we saw is that he will be a blessing. He will be a blessing. And not just Abraham, of course, but through his progeny, through the Jewish people. And I read a long list last week of many things that Jewish people have contributed to society. I'm not going to read that again. I mentioned that they had been awarded 179 Nobel Prizes, but that article was old. So I got a newer article. I now discovered they've had 210 Nobel Prizes. And I'd like to read to you uh, a different article that relates to us some of the contributions of the Jewish people to the world, which is a fulfillment of this fourth promise that the Jews will be a blessing. This one's a little bit humorous. It's listed in categories, and the first category is called really practical inventions, okay? Really practical inventions that came for the Jews. Jeans, lipstick, the ballpoint pen, contraceptives, instant coffee, the television remote control, traffic lights, Scotch guard, and the flexi straw. Wow, what would we do without the Jews? No flexi straw. Then some really big inventions that come from the Jews. The atomic bomb, the thermonuclear bomb, God... They didn't really invent God, but it's listed here. <laughs> Genetic engineering, the nuclear chain reactor, and virtual reality, all from the Jews. And then some of the cultural contributions of the Jews. Hollywood, the sitcom, 
the long plane record, Woodstock, how many of you were, no, never mind, (laughs) sound movies, videotape, color television, instant photography, and holography, game changers that they gave, monotheism, psychoanalysts, the theory of relativity, and the weekend, because they gave us Shabbat, the weekend, we get the weekend. Inventions beginning with the letter C. Capitalism, communism, circumcision, and cheesecake. How about that? Under Never Buy Retail, they gave us discount stores, pawn shops, the shopping cart, and the ready-to-wear clothing industry. And under I Feel Better Already, the Jews gave us Prozac, Valium, the polio vaccine, radiation, chemotherapy, the artificial kidney, dialysis machine, the defibrillator, the cardiac pacemaker, vaccination against the deadly hepatitis B virus, the vaccinating needle, and laser technology. Under high tech, they gave us Google. The fax machine, the microphone, the gramophone, the microprocessing chip, optical fiber cable, laser, cellular technology, and the videotape recorder. And under how did we live without these, the Jewish people gave us drip irrigation, scale model electric trains, the pager, the walkie-talkie, refrigerated railroad car, high vacuum electron tubes, the incandescent lamp, Kodachrome film, the blimp, the Addy machine, stainless steel, and my favorite, Tapered roller bearings. Man, how would we do without that? And the Jews did all that, even though they are a very small group, making up only about 0.02% of the world's population. The Lord has certainly blessed us through the Jewish people, and they certainly are a great nation. Which brings us to today's new stuff. (laughs) Promises 5, 6, and 7. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we have promises 5 and 6. It says in Genesis 12, 3, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So those are the last three, 5, 6, and 7. 5 and 6 go together. They're two sides, opposites. Number 5 is this, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who bless you will be blessed, and the opposite is true. Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And because those promises in the original Hebrew, the you is singular, some people think this is just a promise to Abraham himself. It doesn't refer to all the Jewish people. And for that reason and other reasons, some people, some churches teach that God is done with the Jewish people. We don't have to treat them specially or anything like that. They're just like everybody else. But others of us look at other scriptures, and we would conclude that, no, this blessing isn't just to Abraham, but it's also to everyone who comes from him. Because when you bless a father, you bless his family. And 1,600 years later, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 8, look what God has to say about the Jewish people. So this shows the Jewish people are still important to God. Zechariah 2, 8, for the Lord of armies says this, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, speaking of Israel, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. And God says, The Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. Another way to translate that is the pupil of God's eye. In other words, they're really special. If someone throws something at you, one of the first places you're going to try to protect are your eyes because your eyes are so valuable to you. And God says the Jewish people are valuable 
to me. You see, just like you and I were in Adam when he sinned, and so we sinned with Adam, the Bible says, just like you and I are in Christ, and we inherit the blessings of Christ, so the Jewish people were all in Abraham, and they too received the blessings of Abraham. It's all connected. You can no longer, you, you can no more separate the Jewish people from Abraham than you can separate the church from Jesus Christ. Well, one of the clear proofs that God still has a plan for the Jewish people is the miracle of 1948. Now, most people in this room have been born after that, and maybe we take it for granted if we don't know history. But after nearly two millennia of the Jewish people being scattered around the world, having no nation, in 1948, the Jewish people came back to Israel, and their nation was reborn. And that was a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37, which was read earlier in the service. I won't read the entire portion, but I want us to highlight verses 11 and 12. And in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is having a vision. And in that vision, he sees these dry bones and everything, and they are a picture of the nation of Israel that the Scriptures tell us. One of the beautiful things about prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that when you read it, if you read long enough, you'll see that God will tell, us, tell you what it means. He tells us what those pictures are, and here he does. He tells us it's a nation of Israel that's been scattered and dead, and it's regathered, and it's going to come to life. Let's pick it up in verse 12 of Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So he tells us, this picture you're seeing, this is the nation of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We're completely cut off. So the nation of Israel since 70 A.D. until 1948 didn't exist. They felt like they had perished. It would take a miracle to bring them back. So God says in verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, the nation of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm opening, I open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. This is metaphorically speaking my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. And that's exactly what happened in 1948, a fulfillment of this prophecy, because the Jews are the apple of God's eye, and He still has a plan for them, and His plan for them is related to you, because your future destiny depends on the Jewish people. It's tied to that. Well, the regathering of the Jewish people in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies um, did not sit well with their arch enemy, the devil, and did not sit well with the Muslim nations that surrounded Israel. Nineteen years later, in 1967, 19 years after Israel was formed as a nation, a nation about the size of New Jersey, with a population at that time of about two and a half million people, without provocation, they were attacked by three of the surrounding Muslim nations that surrounded they're attacked by Egypt, Jordan, and Syria simultaneously. Egypt is the largest Arab country in the world, with a population at the time of 31 million people, which was 12 and a half times the size of little Israel, 12 and a half times. And Egypt began amassing their army on the border of Israel and Egypt. And then they put a naval blockade on the southern port area of Israel. 
And Egypt's intentions, according to Egyptian President Nasser, which he announced two years prior to this, he said, we aim at the destruction of the state of Israel. The national aim is the eradication of Israel. That's a president of Egypt, Nasser. He said that. And then, again, in 1967, one week prior to attacking Israel, the president of Egypt, President Nasser, declared our basic objective will be the destruction of Israel. So what would Israel do? What should they do? Well, confronted with Egypt's stated intention and the fact that they blocked their ports, which is an act of war, Israel decided that they would surprise the Egyptian Air Force and attack them. And they attacked the Egyptian Air Force, and they routed the Egyptian ground forces that were in Gaza and the Sinai Peninsula. Well, the Jordanians got word that the Egyptians were winning, which wasn't true. And so they go, good, now it's our time, our chance to attack. So the Jordanians attacked the eastern portion of the city of Jerusalem, as well as at the West Bank. Well, the Israelis defeated the Jordanians in just three days of heavy fighting. And as a process, they gained all of Jerusalem in the fighting and all of the West Bank. Well, at the same time, at the first day of this conflict, which would later be called the Six-Day War because it only lasted six days, at the first day, Israel dealt a shattering blow to the Syrian Air Force. Hostilities continued until the fifth day of the war, and they eventually forced the, the Syrian forces out of the Golan Heights and took the Golan Heights. When the Six-Day War was over, David had clearly defeated Goliath. It was a miracle. But not just a miracle, it was the fulfillment of the sixth promise to Abraham. Those who curse you will be cursed. Israel, in a defensive war, to defend itself against three hostile Muslim nations, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, simultaneously, gained at the end of the war, and these names will sound very familiar to you, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, Golan Heights, and all of the Sinai Peninsula. And they were just defending themselves. Well, in 1979... Israel returned the entire Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt, thus giving back 97% of the land that they had acquired when they were defending themselves with three nations that were trying to exterminate them. There's no better explanation for Israel's victory over these three Muslim nations other than that they are the apple of God's eye, and he said, those who curse you, I will curse. But he also said, those who bless you, I will bless. And that's why many conservative evangelical Christians, when they're voting for a presidential candidate, look for the one who supports Israel, because they believe that we will be blessed if we bless Israel, we'll be cursed if we curse Israel. Which brings us to the last part of chapter 12, verse 3 of Genesis, the seventh promise. It says, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall bless. Number seven there on your outline, 
in you all the earth will be blessed, is the outline there. Number seven, in you all the earth will be blessed. Well, how could that be possible? How could one man bless the entire world for generations to come? Well, the answer, I hope, is obvious. Because through the Jews came Jesus, came salvation, came the Redeemer. Remember that Jesus came as Messiah not just to save the Jewish people, which would have been fine, but he came to save the world. And perhaps what is the best-known Bible verse, John 3.16, it's easy to overlook that God said, for God so loved the, not the Jewish people, the world, that he gave his begotten son, who, by the way, was Jewish. And Jesus himself, in John 4.22, he reminds us that salvation is from the Jews. John 4.22 Salvation is from the Jews. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, you couldn't be saved. Jesus is a fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, promise number seven. And that is why in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, it starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, 1. And it says Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, David, the greatest king, who was told that he would have an heir who would reign on earth forever on the Jewish throne in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And Abraham, who was told that he would bless the whole world. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Without Abraham, there would be no Jewish people. With no J Jewish people, there would be no Jesus. With no Jesus, there would be no hope for mankind. Clearly, the future destiny of the human race, your future destiny is tied to the Jewish people because Jesus is tied to the Jewish people and your destiny is tied to Jesus. But there's more. Yes, there's more. Going back to Ezekiel, we saw that Israel is regathered. And in verse 13 of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 37, something's going to happen after the nation of Israel is regathered. He says, then, verse 13, after they're regathered, you, nation of Israel, will know that I am the Lord. And when Lord is in all caps, it is the personal name of, of God that we pronounce as Yahweh or Jehovah. You will know that I am that I am your God. When I've opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and notice, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. This part hasn't been fulfilled yet. This is saying after Israel is regathered in the land, which happened in 1948, there's going to be a spiritual revival, and the nation of Israel is going to come to know the Lord personally, a spiritual revival. Now, I remind you that we're actually in the book of Romans, even though we haven't been there for a few weeks, that this is a little expansion of what we were studying in Romans 11. So back in Romans 11, I remind you what Paul was saying in verse 25. In Romans 11:25, 25, he says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery. 
So that's why I'm preaching this, because I don't want you to be uninformed of the mystery. What's the mystery? Lest you be wise in your own estimation, here's the mystery, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. So Israel is hardened. Most, most Jews don't know Jesus as their Messiah. Their hearts are hard. And that's going to happen until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until the rest of us have a chance to come to know Jesus. But then something's going to happen, verse 26, and thus all Israel will be saved. They're going to be a saved nation. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, just as it is written, the deliverer, that's Jesus, will come from Zion, that's Jerusalem. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, the return of Jesus to come to earth, to set up his kingdom, for us to reign with him, all hinges on the repentance of the Jewish people and a revival in that nation. Because we're told by Jesus, and also in the Old Testament, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus tells us this. He tells us, and he tells the Jewish people, that he's not coming back until the Jewish people repent of rejecting him and call him back as their Messiah. Matthew 23, these are Jesus' words. And he's speaking to, to the Jewish people right before they're going to arrest him and crucify him. He says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, the nation of Israel, from now on you shall not see me, Jesus, until when? Until you, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you recognize that I'm the Messiah, I am the blessed one, I'm not coming back. Now, if we had time, we'd look at Hosea 5.15. Well, we're going to look at it anyways. <laughs> Hosea 5.15, it's just too good to miss. I'll go quickly. Old Testament, Hosea, verse 15. Jesus is speaking through the prophet, and it says, I will go away and return to my place. This is Jesus. He was on earth, his first coming. He's going to go back to heaven, his place. And I'll go there until they, the Jewish people, acknowledge their guilt that they rejected me, and they seek my face until they want to see me. He says, in their, affliction, sorry, in their afflictions, they will earnestly seek me. The afflictions there refer to the great tribulation recorded in Revelation, chapter 6 to 19. And during that tribulation time, the nation of Israel is so afflicted, and they turn to Jesus, and it's the greatest revival. And the nation of Israel comes to know Jesus and calls him back. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus returns. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. One more verse, Zechariah. Chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10. It says, God speaking, I will pour out on the house of David, that's Israel, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Spirit, God's Spirit of grace and supplication. So they will look on me, Jesus, whom they have pierced, that's his crucifixion, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. And we're being told here, Zechariah's being told that Jewish people are going to repent of having crucified Christ, and Christ will return. Your future destiny depends on the Jewish people as a nation repenting and calling Jesus back. And that's why the devil is trying to destroy the Jewish people, because he doesn't want that destiny for you and for the world. But I'll tell you who wins. 
Jesus. And we will reign with him forever and ever if you are redeemed. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you're here in this room or, or watching online and you've never prayed to ask Jesus to come into your life to save you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and pray. If you're unsure if you would die and go to heaven, if you're sure that you wouldn't go to heaven, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, this is the time to do it. This is the day of salvation. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave, why not cry out to him in your heart or out loud and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you died for me and rose again. And I say thank you. Lord Jesus, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the Jewish people to come to know you fully, for you to return. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. And in the meantime, use us to help others come to know you. It's in your powerful, beautiful, saving name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.